0: A couple of weeks ago, I came across a short video about gift-giving at Christmas. It's great fun. It's not long. I'll show you about half, and then we'll pick it up from there.
1: Christmas presents are exciting. Do you remember what you'd say is the best gift you've ever received at Christmas? I asked my kids this question, and here's what they said. My six-year-old loved her little talkie doll that could talk, blink, and not much else cost a whopping $110 after tax, and it lasted for a solid eight months before it found its way to the back of her closet. My nine-year-old said his favorite was the popular fantasy book series, six books in all, each getting progressively longer. The set cost $58 and lasted eight weeks before it lived its final dust-filled existence on a shelf. Now, my tween loved the brainy putty collection, cost $32 and lasted a measly eight days before it went to live in our carpet. Finally, my teenage son wanted the ultimate drone with a 4K camera. It cost the most and lasted the shortest amount of time. I'd like to say it lasted eight minutes, but no, it was eight seconds, which is only impressive in bull riding.
0: I'll leave you hanging because that's only half the video clip But as I was watching that I was thinking Gift giving In the Bible Are there examples of ordinary people giving gifts to each other? Interesting isn't it? Interesting question So I thought I'd do a bit of research, do some digging So I found there was some gift giving But it tended to be between kings Queen of Sheba, King Solomon They gave each other heaps of gifts And there are two birthdays in the Bible. Again, both kings, and even though it's not recorded, I'm sure there are a whole bunch of gifts given. But what about ordinary people in the Bible? Is there a situation where ordinary people, like you and I, give each other gifts? Well, it is. And it's to do with a wonderful hero in the Bible, or a wonderful heroine, I should say. Does anybody know the heroine that I'm talking to where gifts are given freely? She has a book name after her, which means there's, you've got a choice of two. <laughs> yeah, Esther. Esther's story. Esther's a fabulous story, and it's well worth telling. So, who was Esther? Well, Esther was an orphaned Jewish girl. She had no parents. And she lived long ago in ancient Persia. Now, if you're familiar with the Disney movie, Aladdin... That's what we're talking about. So if you've seen the movie, and you know the clothes and the palace and the houses, well, this was when Esther lived. She lived in Persia as an orphan. However, she was brought up by a very kind and godly cousin, and his name was Mordecai. And so he brought this young Jewish girl up until she was a lovely young lady. And then, amazingly, God had plans for Esther, and through some very unusual circumstances, Esther became the queen of all of Persia. Now you're going to have to read this story, children, because I haven't got time to go into all her adventures. But she ended up queen of Persia, this orphaned Jewish girl. And her husband, the king, was the most powerful man in the known world. And you'll see on that map there that his, uh, his empire went from, from India on the far right all the way through the Middle East and Israel and Egypt and into northern Africa. He only had problems with those pesky Greek folk in the north. And he was was the king, and he married this Jewish orphan. Yet, even after the wedding, the king did not know that Esther was Jewish. Now, why not? Well, in the kingdom of Persia, the Jews were really slave people. They were not well regarded. And so Mordecai advised Esther to keep her Jewishness a secret. Well, it all went well for about five years. And then there was big trouble. We're talking really big trouble came Esther's way. For the second most powerful man in all of Persia was the man Haman. And Haman, well, he hated the Jews. Like he really hated them. And then because Haman was so important, second in the kingdom, whenever he walked into a room, people had to bow. Whenever he walked in the street, people had to stop and had to bow towards Haman. And everybody did it except one man, and that was Mordecai. And Mordecai was a Jew, so Haman, he hated Mordecai, and he hated the Jews, so he festered, and he brooded, and he plotted, and he schemed until he came up with the most wicked of plans. And he tricked the king. He fooled the king into signing a law that allowed all of the enemies of the Israelites, of the Jews, on one set day to kill and to rob the Jewish folk. So imagine you're living in a house and next door is a Jewish family and they have a cool TV and a car and those sort of things. On that day, you could go and steal their TV and their car. You could beat them up. You could murder them. You could take their house and not one policeman would stop Not one military officer would say, you can't do that. And so, all of God's people scattered through the whole empire were in danger of being wiped out by mob violence and greed. So, what was Esther to do? Because nobody knew she was Jewish. Should she keep her Jewishness a secret so she would be safe while all her people were massacred, Or should she tell her husband, the king, that she was Jewish? But if she did, she herself might be killed on the day. So what does Esther do? Well, she asks Mordecai and all the Jewish folk in the capital city, the city where she lived, to pray and to fast. And as they pray and fast for three days, God gives her a plan, a cunning plan, a plan that's more cunning than Haman's. And this is her plan. She will go into the king's throne room uninvited. Now, this was a very dangerous thing to do because nobody could enter the king's throne room unless they had an invitation. In fact, all of the guards in the throne room were ordered if someone came into the room and the king did not raise his scepter as a welcome, they were to take that person out and kill them on the spot. No questions asked. And so, after three days, Esther bravely enters the throne room uninvited to see the king. Will the scepter be raised or not? Will Esther live or die? Well, the king looks up and is startled. Nobody enters his throne room uninvited under threat of death. And so what is he to do? Well, slowly he rises his scepter, his golden staff, and welcomes Esther in. Phew. <laughs> the first step of her plan is success. So then the king says, what do you want, Esther? And she says, I want to put on a super special, amazing banquet for you and for Haman. No one else. And this is part of her plan. So in a couple of days' time, both men attend Haman is basking in the favor of the king and the queen. He's full of pride, saying, I am the most important person in the kingdom after the king because it's only me that has been invited to this meal with the queen. And the king is delighted. So he says to his wife, he says, What is your desire? I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. And this is Esther's chance. But she does something most unusual. She says, I would like you and Haman to come to another banquet in a couple of days' time. See how clever she is? She's building anticipation in these two men. So anyway, a couple of days later, Haman is even more full of himself and his ego and pride, and even more spiteful for Mordecai and the Jews. He comes to this dinner with the queen. And then the king says again, I will give you whatever you desire up until half of my kingdom. What would you like, Esther? And then Esther shocks everyone and says, Haman is trying to kill me. And of course, the blood drains out of Haman's face. He doesn't know she's Jewish. And he panics and there is chaos and the guards are called in and arrest Haman and he is hanged on the spot. Great story to read before bedtime, parents. I'm leaving out some of the details, by the way. Anyway, the king now has the queen's undivided attention and she explains everything. But unfortunately, the law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be reversed. So what do they do? Well, that is the rest of Esther's cunning plan. And do you know You're going to have to find it in the Bible because I'm not going to tell you how this story ends. But Esther ends up used by God to save all of God's people from this wicked plot. There was a day set in a few months ahead in which all of God's people would be at the wrong end of mob violence, death, persecution. But God raised up this young orphan girl to save his people. Now, Mordecai, he becomes elevated to one of the most important people in all of Persia. And what he does is he writes a letter to all of the Jewish communities, and he says this. He wrote them to observe the day. That's the day in which um, God saved his people. He wrote them to observe the day as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food and gifts to the poor. And that's what you find in the Bible with ordinary people giving ordinary people gifts. Even today, two and a half thousand years later, the Jewish folks celebrate the Feast of Purim where they give each other gifts of food and presents. It's the Jewish version of Christmas. But that's where you find in the Bible ordinary people giving other ordinary people gifts. Why? Because God saved his people from certain death and destruction so that's the answer to my question if you want to find a place where ordinary people exchange gifts just like we do in Christmas you go to Esther's story but of course this points to Christmas doesn't it? I mean why do we give gifts at Christmas? well it's because it's Jesus' birthday and and we give gifts at birthdays but there's a more important reason why we give gifts at Christmas we give gifts at Christmas because the baby Jesus grew up to do exactly what Esther did But Jesus did it in a much more grander way. Just in the similar way that God used Esther to save all his people, God uses Jesus to save all of those who look to them. Now how does this work? Well, just in the same way that the law of the Medes and Persians could not be changed, it's the same with God's law. So, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the first part says, For the wages of sin is death. So just like in Esther's day, when there was a few months ahead, there would be a day when all of God's people would be killed and perished. It's the same for us. One day we will all die, and we will go before the judgment seat. And this verse will be there, for the wages of sin is death, and we are destined to perish. And just like the law of the Medes and the Persians, just like Esther's husband, the king, could not just say, well, we'll just wipe that law. It's the same with God. He can't just say to Johnny who goes to um, judgment and say, well, I'll forgive you, because the law is the law, and he can't forgive us. And so just like with Esther, there had to be a real cunning plan to get round the law of the Medes and the Persian. God had a really cunning plan so that when we face judgment, we will not perish. And the cunning plan was to send Jesus, our Saviour. The rest of Romans 6.23 goes like this. For the wages of sin is death, but what a glorious word. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus in the same way that he sent Esther, but in a true and a better way, so that all who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus took our place. He was punished in house dead. He took the wages, which none of us want. None of us want the wages of sin and death. We don't want that payslip every fortnight. We want a different payslip. Jesus took the wages, our wages of sin and death, on the cross and saved us in a true and a better way than Esther saved God's people. And that's why we give gifts at Christmas. Just as Esther was used by God to save his people and gifts are given amongst the Jewish community, likewise Jesus is used by God to save you and I and so we give gifts to each other in Christmas. And that's the good news, isn't it? It's the good news. The good news doesn't start at the cross. The good news starts at Christmas where God kicks in his plan to save you and I. And all of this came about because I was distracted in the middle of that video clip. And I wanted to know, is there any other place in the Bible where gifts are given? Well, I've answered the question, had some fun on the way, and hopefully you have a new insight into Jesus and what he did on the cross. Keep thinking Esther. Parents and grandparents, why don't you read the story of Esther to your children and grandchildren in December and just point the young ones to Esther, the great heroine of the Bible, being like Jesus. and She was used by God to save his people. I'm going to show you the rest of that video clip. Because I know that you're anticipating what was happening with all those gifts. One lasted, was it eight weeks, eight months, eight seconds? <laughs> Let's pick up that video clip.
1: As exciting as those gifts are, what if there was a gift at Christmas that was far better? In fact, so much better that it makes these look like, well, toys. Toys. What if this gift was worth so much that no one could buy it for you, nor could you afford it? What if it was something of extreme value, like, say, life itself? And what if this gift was given through the birth of a baby who became our paid-in-full? That's the gift offered to all. It costs us nothing, Him everything. It lasts just a bit longer than eight seconds, eight days, eight weeks, or even eight months. It lasts forever.
0: It's lovely, isn't it? If you Google the Christmas box, that's on YouTube. Let's pray.